0: Does that sound like us? Sure sounds like like me a lot of times. Sure it sounds like us. We are statistical pessimists who tend to look only at human resources rather than God's power and his resources. If it doesn't fit the budget, it can't be done. That's not how the Lord wanted Philip to think. Philip should have said, Lord, why are you asking me this question? You're capable of doing whatever you want to do. Lord, however you want to take care of this, do it. You don't need me. You're you're God. Take care of it. It's nothing for you. You made the heavens and the earth. You parted the Red Sea. What's 15,000 people to you?
1: Poor Philip. A crowd of roughly 15,000 people was approaching, and they would soon be hungry. The disciples only had a few scraps of food among them and very little money. Jesus said, what shall we do? (laughs) Philip gave him the -the deer-in-the-headlights look. He knew that he and the other disciples didn't have anything like what they needed to meet the need, but he failed to consider the unlimited resources available through his Lord. We've all done that, though, haven't we? It's easy to forget that what God ordains, God pays for. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and he's guiding us in a series of studies about the generous church. Our main text for this sermon that Pastor Steve is wrapping up today is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 5, but the subject goes right on through the next chapter. In fact, Pastor Steve quoted 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 in our last broadcast. It says, Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the Bible doesn't specify an amount to give, but if we give cheerfully, We'll also give generously. If you're following in your Bible, keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians 8, but get ready to turn to Matthew 6. Here's Pastor Steve.
0: Now, before we leave this verse and the thought that generous giving is to be voluntary without any kind of human coercion, I want to touch on something that I mentioned last week, but I think it's critical. I think it's critical. If we're honest, we have to admit that one of the main reasons that many of us have a hard time being liberal givers like the Macedonians is because we really fear that if we give generously, like the Bible teaches, then we really won't have enough money to take care of our own needs. I think that's behind a lot of people uh, not being generous. But you know what that is? Let's call it what it is. It's called a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith in God as a loving heavenly father who promises that he will provide. Let's look at this, Matthew chapter six. I wanna look at two passages of scripture and hopefully this will encourage you because I, I know exactly how you feel because I go through this myself and I have to remind myself that God is my father and it's really his responsibility to care for me. It's his responsibility to care for you. And he's promised to do that. And it's his delight to do that. This doesn't mean that we stop working and retreat to a mountain and become apathetic. That's, that's called presuming on God, tempting God. We're talking about in the normal course of, of life. Here's how it works. Verse 25 Jesus said for this reason I say to you do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink nor for your body as to what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing what a great statement of course it is life isn't just about these things life life is about honoring the lord Jesus illustrates how god provides for us he said look at the birds of the air that they don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them Are you not worth much more than they? Of course we are. Birds weren't created in the image of God, and birds aren't savable. We are. Verse 27, this is a great statement. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to to his life? Your worry will never expand your life. Our times are in his hands. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. And they don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. And here's his point. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? And remember, these were people, this is not uh, a people who are in the middle class. In Israel, in Israel, in ancient days, you had uh, there are some middle class, but not much. You were either very poor like these folks, and you didn't know where your next meal was coming from because you were paid on a daily basis, and there were very wealthy people. And Jesus is addressing the poor people who were worried about whether they would have anything for tomorrow. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about this. Verse 32. Now, here's the people who should worry about this. For the Gentiles, meaning unbelievers, they eagerly seek all these things. Of course they do. Of course they do. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. The Gentiles, meaning unbelievers, they, that's their pursuit of life, material things. Everything centers around me. I've got to get this and I've got to get that and I've got to take care of myself. But Jesus said, relax. God, your father knows what you need. You don't have to be like them. So what should you do? What should you do in light of this? This is, this is the whole crescendo in verse 33. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That is to say, obey what I just taught you in the Sermon on the Mount. This is about righteousness. Obey, and all these things will be added to you. You just do what my word tells you to do and and trust and obey, and I'll take care of you. And that's why 34, this verse is so precious. It's his final application on this. So don't worry about tomorrow. Isn't that a great statement? I've, I've gone to sleep at night thinking about this verse. Don't worry about tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will care for itself. Tomorrow will be here soon enough. And each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't borrow tomorrow's problems today. They'll get here when they come. God will give you grace for your daily problems. He's not giving you grace for tomorrow's problems that haven't arrived here. So concentrate today on obedience to the Lord and God will provide for you. Now, these are are all truth centered around one thought that God is to a believer in Christ, a loving heavenly father who takes care of his children. Can you trust him like that? Can you trust him to do that? He promises you that you obey me and I'll provide for you. What a wonderful truth. And I want to encourage you to have faith in God's promise To provide for you. Now, some may say, well, I understand God is a father who cares for his own, but I'm I'm struggling about how's he going to do it? It, Can can he pull everything off? I mean, my problem seems so big, my economic woes so deep. God can. God is not only a loving heavenly father, but keep this in mind, he is omnipotent, he is all powerful. He can and will provide for you. And I want you to turn, this is really a great passage, John chapter 6. The Gospel of John is one of the first books of the uh, Bible that I taught here at Lakeside, and I remembered as I was studying, as I've been studying these last few weeks, to include this passage in John chapter 6 because it really fits in here. It was a great encouragement to me back in the 80s when I taught this, and it is still a great encouragement. You'll see what I mean. John chapter 6 the beginning verses tell us a very famous story. It is a parable of when Jesus fed the 5,000. Now we say it's 5,000, but the text says that it was 5,000 men, which means that if women and children were there and they were, it probably was about at least 15,000 and maybe more. This is a popular uh, parable. It is the only parable found in every gospel account. So obviously God wants us to know it. He's repeated it four times. And it's, it's precious. It's about God's power. Watch this. After these things, verse one, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. So he's in the Galilean northern region of Israel. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So you understand that a lot of Galilean Jewish people were following him, not because they were committed to him, but because he was healing people and doing miracles. And that always draws a crowd. Verse three, Then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Therefore, Jesus, watch this, lifting up his eyes and seeing what a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now that's an amazing statement. Why does the God of the universe ask Philip anything? Why would he ask Philip, this question. Is there something Jesus doesn't know? Impossible. He knows everything. Why would the Almighty God say to a disciple, what are we going to do, Philip? How are we going to feed these people? Well, the answer is found in verse seven, or verse six, rather. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. This was a test for Philip. And it was a test that went something like this. Philip, you've been with me now for about two years. You've seen me do miracle after miracle. You've seen me turn water into wine. You've you've seen me heal people. You've seen me perform signs. Now, there's thousands of people here. Philip, what do you think we should do? You know what Philip should have said? Philip should have said, Lord, I've seen enough. You're God. Do whatever you want. You can do anything. It's nothing for you. But that's not what Philip said it never dawned on this man that Jesus could do a miracle here. He said in verse 7, Philip answered him and he said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Now I've got to tell you, in my studies on Philip, I'm sure he was a wonderful fellow, but I don't think this was the brightest guy in his class. I'll tell you why. It's the same man who a year later when Jesus is talking about going to heaven and I go to prepare a place for you and I am the way and so forth, Philip has this brilliant statement. He says, Lord, show us the father and it's sufficient. And it's as if Jesus just sighed and said, Philip, how long have I been with you? How long have I been with you? He who has seen me has seen the father. It's like he's knocking him on the side of the head and saying, duh, what are you thinking, Philip? Well, what more do I have to show you? You've seen me, you've seen God the Father. No, I don't think Philip was too bright. I don't know that I would have answered any better, but I don't think this guy was the sharpest tack going around. So it never dawned on Philip that the Lord was powerful enough to feed 15,000 people. See, what, what Jesus wanted to do is he wanted to stretch the faith of Philip. That's why this is a test. Philip, you've had the course. Now, here's your final exam, or at least midterm. And he wants him to recognize that he was God Almighty. That's the whole point. In fact, that's the theme of John's gospel, that Jesus is deity. That's why later we're told about, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But all Philip could see, rather than see the Lord as almighty, all Philip could see were thousands of people in a humanly impossible situation. So he took out his little Israeli-made calculator, and he mathematically figured out that it just couldn't be done. Wouldn't fit the budget couldn't fit the budget. It was impossible. Now, does that sound like us? Sure sounds like like me a lot of times. Sure, it sounds like us. We are statistical pessimists who tend to look only at human resources rather than God's power and his resources. If it doesn't fit the budget, it can't be done. That's not how the Lord wanted Philip to think. Philip should have said, Lord, Why are you asking me this question? You're capable of doing whatever you want to do. Lord, however you want to take care of this, do it. You don't need me. You're you're God. Take care of it. It's nothing for you. You made the heavens and the earth. You parted the Red Sea. What's 15,000 people to you? In fact, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God, watch this, shall supply not some of your needs, but all your needs, and not out of a, a little bit of his resources. He says, according to his riches according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has everything at his disposal. He can provide in any way he wants. And the story goes on to say that he did provide. Tells us that Jesus, the God of creation, did another act of creation. He took five barley loaves and two small fish and miraculously multiplied it so that everybody was not only fed, but they were satisfied and they had to clean up after. Listen, what, what we need to see from this is that the Lord not only loves you and promises that as a father, he'll take care of you, but he has the power to do it. It's not an empty promise. He has the power to provide and we need to see as the wisdom to do it because uh, his timing is not always our timing. We'd like to see it done in a certain fashion in a certain time. God loves you as a heavenly father. God will provide for you because he's all powerful and he's wise enough to know exactly how you need to be taken care of and when you need to be taken care of. God can do it miraculously. He can do it providentially. Usually he does it providentially using the normal course of events. So how he provides for you is up up to, to him, but you need to trust him. Let's not be like Philip, who we just can't calculate, doesn't work on paper, so we can't do it. Jesus is God. So what have we learned so far about what generosity looks like When you're generous, your giving is motivated by grace. It rises above circumstances. It's free from any human pressure. And the fourth characteristic of a generous church, and perhaps the most important thing that we could say in this whole series is this. Their giving is an expression of their devotion to Christ. Giving is an expression of our devotion to Christ. Notice verse five. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. With these words, Paul explains why the Macedonians gave so generously without being coerced or pressured by anybody. Why did they do this? What was behind this? What was really compelling them? It wasn't, it wasn't a, a human instrument saying you must give. The reason they gave so freely and so generously is because, first of all, and the word first there means first in priority, not time, but first they gave themselves to the Lord. That's, that's the key. The key to their generosity is that they had offered their lives to God in total dedication, total dedication. You see, when believers lay their lives on the altar and they offer themselves up as living sacrifices to the Lord, then God not only has them, he has their money as well. That's why the issue is the heart. If our lives are dedicated to him, then all of our resources are for his use. That's exactly what happened to the Macedonians. As someone said, they put it this way, once the heart is surrendered, the hand will instinctively be opened. When you find a closed hand, it's because someone who claims to know Christ is not dedicated to him. They've not come to the point where they said, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. They haven't done that. And that is what the Bible tells us to do. In Romans twelve one and two, Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God. That's the salvation truths. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves, what, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to the Lord, which he says is your reasonable service of worship. That's true worship, to give ourselves to God, saying, Lord, the best I have to give is myself. This is the, this is the best I could give, me. And when he says body, he doesn't mean just body. He means our life. Lord, I lay my life on the altar as an Old Testament animal, was was killed and laid on the altar, so I give myself as a living sacrifice. Everything I have belongs to you. I mean, it belongs to God anyway, whether we recognize it or not. You brought nothing into this world, Paul tells us. You're taking nothing out of this world. Everything's on loan. You recognize that your life belongs to the Lord, then everything you have, including your money, belongs to him also. So if if you find yourself not being generous It's because you really haven't given yourself to the Lord in total abandonment. And yet the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We belong to Christ. So your lack of generosity is really, when that's true, it's, it's, let me put it this way. Generosity is a valid test. It's a valid test of where you are spiritually. If you say that you have surrendered to the Lord, I've given him everything, but you are not generous with your money, then you really have deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. You you have not given your whole being to God, and you need to do that. And we need to really remind ourselves every day to do this because by nature, we want to take back our lives, put it on the altar, and then we want to climb back down. And notice, notice something interesting that Paul says in verse five, and it just balances this thing out. He says, they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then he adds, and to us by the will of God. What does he mean? We're not God. Paul's not God. Why would anyone give themselves to, to Paul? How did they do that? What Paul means by this is that the Macedonians' devotion to God and to his will led them to submit to the leadership of Paul and his missionary team. Their attitude was this, Paul, you are God's appointed leader over us, and if you say this collection is important, we're going to take it that that's god's will for us. And the principle is this, when you are dedicated to Christ, you submit to the leadership of your church. If the elders say to you, here's the budget, here's what we think we ought to do as a church, here's where we want here's where we want to go in direction, then we need, if we're dedicated to the, to the lord to submit to the leadership of the church because that is the will of god that we submit to our leaders. That's that's the principle here. So, we've discovered what generosity is about. And the only question is, are you going to respond properly? I'm not giving these messages to, uh, to, to raise funds. Obviously, there are needs here, but I would have taught this regardless of needs. But we want you, and I want you as your pastor, to simply obey the Lord. Give whatever you should give, but be generous and follow these principles. May your giving be motivated by grace. May it rise above your circumstances. May it be free from any human pressure. And may it be an expression of your devotion to Christ. Let's bow for prayer. How should you respond? How should I respond to these truths? Well, the, you know, the very first thing to consider is, have you experienced the grace of God in salvation? Have you come to really know Christ? Because grace teaches us to be gracious to others in our giving. If you don't know Christ, understand that God commands us every, everywhere all people to repent and believe the gospel. If you are a Christian and you still aren't generous, it's because you really haven't given yourself in total abandonment to God. You're still holding on to aspects of your life and that includes your money, but it's not your money. It's God's money. Give him everything. If You are a dedicated Christian, but you still struggle with being generous then understand that you need to repent of a lack of faith and start trusting God to provide for you. That's where many of us are at trust the Lord. He'll, he'll never disappoint you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that these last few weeks have been a joy to study such a refreshing passage of scripture, to see a group of churches, Lord, that were not um, not thinking like so many that we're exposed to. They weren't caught up in percentages. They, they gave joyously. They, they gave freely. Lord I pray we would be like this. I pray we would we would be so distinct, Lord, that that we would give in a way that reflects truly transformed hearts, truly dedicated to Christ, people who love to give cheerfully, who give because they uh, want to be gracious to others. Lord, you have been so wonderful to us. Help us to be like that to others. Lord, help us to break free from our American culture which teaches us really to be greedy, help us to be givers, not takers. And I pray, Lord, for those who may not know Christ, may they see the grace of God in Christ's death, who gave himself that we might be saved. May they see the grace demonstrated in the cross and come to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. The Macedonian Christians gave us a wonderful model for biblical giving. And it's vitally important to note that they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's really the key. If we simply resolve to be more generous because it's what we ought to do, we accomplish nothing. And in fact, we'll eventually give up our generosity. But if we submit wholeheartedly to the Lord and give ourselves and all we possess to Him, He will change our whole outlook on our stuff and our security. It was good to have you here today for Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff concluded another three-part sermon in his series from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Pastor Steve serves as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop by some Sunday if you're in town and looking for a place to worship. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For more information, call the office at 727-441-1714. Or go online to lakesidechapel.com. To request a free CD with the entire message Pastor Steve just wrapped up, call Lakeside at the number I just gave, 727-441-1714. And ask for message 652, A Generous Church, Part 3. You can also listen online or download any of our broadcasts, including today's at versebyverseradio.org. Click the message archive link to browse the library. And if the Lord is blessing you through verse by verse, perhaps he's also moving you to give. We make that easy and secure on the giving page at our website, which once again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. There's a relatively new term getting lots of use in the social media and the news today. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called paying it forward. There was even a movie about it back in 2000. Now, being kind and generous is part of being Christ-like but not if we use those acts as deposits in some sort of blessings savings account, hoping to get it back someday. That's not real generosity. Real generosity expects nothing in return. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will be moving on to verses 6 through 8 of this chapter and will consider a more godly motive for giving. We are here to give you strength
0: between...